0: good morning everyone oh that was a very powerful good morning it's good to see everybody this morning welcome to old providence associate reform presbyterian church what a blessing it is what a what a wonderful thing it is to be gathered here together and to know that the reason that we're here is because god has brought us here That God has given us this time, and this is true whether you realize it or not, whether it's your first time here, whether it's your thousandth time here, God loves you just that much that he has given you this time to worship him. And worship him we shall, but very, very briefly, let me just point you to the bulletin, a couple of announcements. Lots of things going on, like service project today at Valley Mission. The youth group, or at least part of the youth group, will be going to this, um, and it will be in place of youth group tonight. So no youth group at regular time. Instead... The youth group is meeting here at 2.30. The deacons will be having their meeting tonight at 5 o'clock. Little Lambs is tonight at regular time. Now, other things are going on, like the home Bible study at Pat and Susie's, Tuesday at 7. And we had a wonderful time this past week. I I encourage you to take part in that. Also, Wednesday prayer meeting is Wednesday night at 6.45. And hopefully, daily devotionals will be back tomorrow at 7. We have big connectivity problems and internet issues, but thank you so much for your patience with that. Now, other things are happening, um, especially today with installing deacons and elders. We'll do that in just a little bit, but because of that, I'm going to end the announcements right there. But again, I welcome you. What a blessing it is. Oh, yes. Oh, it's next week. Never mind. Deacons meetings, that's good. I could actually go to it. Yes, Gary. Is Gary in here? Gary, make okay. Next week. Very good. All right, so next week is it still at five o'clock? Perfect. All right. Now, let's prepare our hearts for worship as Donna leads us in the prayer. Our call to worship this morning is in Psalm 2, and it begins with a question. The psalmist asks, why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The rulers conspire together against the Lord and his anointed one. Let's tear off their chains and throw their ropes off of us. That's the setup, you see. How does the Lord respond? Verse four tells us the one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord ridicules them. Then he speaks to them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath. I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will declare the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with an iron scepter. You will shatter them like pottery. So now, kings, be wise. Receive instruction, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with reverential awe and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son or he will be angry and you will perish in your rebellion for his anger may ignite at any moment, but all who take refuge in him are happy. My friends, in just a few moments, in a little while when we get to the sermon, we'll talk about the state of the world, and it's fascinating that things haven't changed in the 3,000 or so years since this was written, have they? That the world mocks God, scoffs at his creation, at his word, and yet God's response is that His king is installed and we know this king to be Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords forever and ever. And it is he that reigns and his sovereign might and power. He is in charge. And therefore, as the last verse says, it is only those who take refuge in him that are happy, that are blessed. I hope that you are here today as one who takes refuge in Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior. And I hope you are here today to worship him. Let's go to the Lord now in prayer, and then we will pray the Lord's Prayer together and confess the Apostles' Creed. Let's go to him. Our Father, as you have brought us to this place, give us grateful hearts. Let us take this time now to reflect on your mercy, on your love, on your provision, that you have provided this opportunity for us to step away from the routine, the the hustle and the bustle of life, and instead to focus on you. You have created us to be worshipful creatures, and we will worship. Yet far too many times we worship ourselves, our desires, the world around us, alternatives, so many things. Father, we pray that we would see you. That the light of Jesus Christ would blaze forth in this time. That we would worship you and you alone. Apart from you, Father, we won't do this. We need your Holy Spirit to guide us. So please make us sensitive to your spirit, to your calling. And take us through this time so that it would be pleasing to you. We pray these things in Christ's name. And we also pray as he taught us to pray by saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, And now as we say the Apostles' Creed, let me ask you, Christian, what is it that you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. amen amen indeed now let's take this time and go to our lord in praise as we stand and turn in our hymnals to number 244 the words are on the screen of course as we sing come thou almighty king that's in the red hymnal number 244 please stand you may be seated except now it's a special day because it is the Lord's day indeed but it's also special because perhaps you noticed in your bulletin that little line I've got it circled so I wouldn't forget it it is the service of installation now um, as the men gather in front of me realize this We are not ordaining any new deacons and elders. All of the men before you have already taken a term of office and have served some of them several times in the capacity of deacon and elder. But we have a rotational system where you serve a term, then you go off, and then, Lord, you come back on at some point, if they are willing, and these men are, and I'm grateful for them. Now, because of this, they will not answer all the questions they answered when they were first ordained. But I'm going to read them to you because they're important. To be ordained as a deacon or an elder, you have to answer, number one, do you believe in one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and do you confess anew the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, and acknowledge Him head over all things for the church, which is His body? The second you have to answer is, do you affirm your belief in the Bible, in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments, as the word of the living God, the only perfect rule of faith and practice, infallible in all that it teaches, and inerrant in the original manuscripts and to which nothing is to be added and from which nothing is to be taken away at any time or upon any pretense. Now that's a mouthful, but I hope you paid attention. There's a lot there. The third thing they have to answer is, do you accept the doctrines of this church contained in the Westminster Confession of Faith and Catechism as founded on the word of God and as the expression of your own faith? And do you resolve to adhere thereto? And then they have to answer, do you accept the government, discipline, and worship of the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church? Now, all of these men have answered these questions in the affirmative. When they come back on, we don't ordain them again. We just install them. And so we ask them the last three questions. And men, these are for you to respond to. Number five, do you accept the office of elder and of deacon in this congregation And do you promise to perform faithfully all the duties of the office? And do you promise to endeavor by the grace of God to live your life in Christian witness before the church and in the world? Do you? I do. Very good. Number six, do you promise to submit in the spirit of love to the authority of the session and to the higher courts of the church? I do. And finally, number seven, Do you promise in all things to promote the unity, peace, purity, and prosperity of the church? Very good. Now, members of the congregation, I have questions for you, and it's actually two separate questions. The first um, is for elders, and that would be Stanley, Randy, and Doug, right? So I want you three to turn around and face the congregation. Now, do you, the members of this congregation, acknowledge and receive these fellow members as elders, and do you promise to give them all the honor, obedience, encouragement, and assistance in the spirit of love to which their office, according to the word of God and the standards of this church, entitles them? If you will, please stand. will simply remain standing. Very good, now you may all be seated. And so men, if you'll face me again, as the congregation has stood and indicated their agreement, so I pronounce in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the great head of the church, that I now declare you duly installed in the office of elder and in the office of deacon. At the end of the service, I'd encourage everyone to shake these men's hands because realize that this is signifying their commitment to serve, to lay down themselves, to spend their time, their resources, their energy in order to serve this church. And what a blessed thing it is that the Lord has given us this. Let me pray for us now. Our God and our Father, we praise you that you have given us this system, that in your word you have indicated how your church is to be run. And I thank you for these men. Please bless them, bless their families. As as we take any positive step of faith in our life, that's when the evil one attacks. So would you protect them? Would you empower them also to serve in these offices for our deacons, for our elders, to serve on the session in the diaconate and to serve well and in accordance with your will for the good of this church, yes, but even more so for the good of your kingdom. And I pray all of these things in Christ's name, amen. Now, men, you may be seated. And children, come on down front. All righty. There we go. We've got some more over here. And there's two more. Now scrunch on in there together. We got it. And I think we have another. Come on down. I love feeling like Bob Barker on Sunday morning. You know who Bob Barker is? Any of y'all? No, I don't think you do. Do we have any room? Scooch, scooch, scooch. Scooch everybody, scooch over, scooch over. We got it. All right. Perfect. Now we can all fit. Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. That was a nice good morning. It's so good to see everybody today. I hope that everybody is doing well. Now. Now. Well, we did just a minute ago. What was that all about? You know, I remember. Yeah, thank you, Olivia. Olivia goes. I I remember being y'all's age, and I remember, and and it's and it's not a bad thing. But I remember being your age, and I remember sitting through church, and I remember that sometimes things would happen in church, and I didn't really understand what was going on. Now that's okay because the only way to learn something is to experience it. And parents, well done for having these children here. But it's good that y'all are here because the more time you spend in church, the more you become familiar with what we do and why we do it. But I want to talk about what happened just now. What is the name of this church? Who knows? What's it called, Chloe? Old. Old Providence, but there's something else to it. Old Providence what? Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church, right? Now, y'all, what just happened up here, the reason that we did that and we brought these men forward and I asked them these questions and I talked about the questions they answered, is because we're a Presbyterian church. Now, Presbyterian is one of those words that really we don't use a lot of times. In fact, the only time people use it really is when they're talking about Presbyterian churches. Maybe you've wondered, what does it mean that we're a Presbyterian church? And by the way, maybe some of you out there have wondered... What does it mean that we're a Presbyterian church? Well, let me tell you why we just did that and why our church is the way that it is, why we have elders and deacons. I'm going to talk about elders and deacons next week, but first off, what does Presbyterian even mean? Y'all, a long time ago, 2,000 years ago, right after Jesus went back to heaven, well, when you read your Bible, when you come to the New Testament, what's the book that you come to first? Nope, Old Testament is first. Then in the New Testament is... The Gospel of Matthew, right? And then Mark, and then Luke, and then John. And then you find the book of Acts. And the book of Acts, that's a weird name for a book. But it's all about the Acts, or what the early apostles, or what the apostles in the early church did. And what we find out is there was a lot of things going on in the early church. They had a lot of problems, right? One of the problems is there were two main groups of people. There were people that are called Gentiles, and there are people that are called Jews, and the Jews believed certain things, and they said to the Gentiles, Hey, if you want to be a Christian, you've got to be a Jew first. That means you can only eat certain things. you got to celebrate certain things on certain days. You can't do this. you got to do that. And the Gentiles said, Wait a second. I thought all I had to do was believe in Jesus. And there was this big disagreement. And so it says that Paul and Barnabas... Now, this is actually in the book of Acts, right? It's in Acts chapter 13. But it says that Paul and Barnabas and the other apostles went around to the different churches and ordained elders for the churches, right? Just like we did a minute ago. Now, here's the interesting thing. That big disagreement was still going on. Elders all met with the apostles in Jerusalem, and they came together to make a decision on what to do with this big problem the church faced. Now, you might be saying, okay, what does that have to do with Presbyterian? Well, y'all... I've just been speaking in English and in your Bible, it's written in English. But the Bible in the New Testament was originally written in Greek. And there's a word in the Greek language for elder. It's not elder, it's presbyteros. Now, presbyteros sounds like Presbyterian, doesn't it? And that's why we're Presbyterian. What it means to be Presbyterian is instead of one person being in charge, like the preacher, I want that. Or just one person in charge of a whole bunch of churches. Elders are in charge of this church. And deacons are elected to help run the church. God did all of this for us. So we wouldn't be trying to figure things out on our own. He told us in his word how he wants his church to work. That's why we're Presbyterian. That's why just a few minutes ago we brought these men up here. And I installed them as deacons and elders. Because that's the way the Lord wants the church to be run. Elders to make spiritual decisions, and deacons to take care of the church and its people, okay? I hope that helps you understand a little bit better what we did with these men up here because a lot of you have men in your families that are deacons and elders, right? Chloe and Gabe, your daddy's a deacon, and the same way with Olivia and Adelaide, right? And, and you too as well, your daddy's a deacon. Oh, it applies to all of us. So, I hope that helps you understand better. I hope that helps the rest of you understand better, too. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you haven't left us just to figure things out on our own, but you've given us a system to follow. Again, I thank you for the elders and deacons in this church, um, that it's not just one person in charge, but instead that the people come together and elect those that will rule over the church. I pray that you would help us to appreciate what you tell us in your word, and I pray that you would help us to follow it. And I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Right, you can go now. There we go. Now, let's continue in this time together um, by taking this time and going to our Lord in prayer. We're first going to go to the Lord in silent prayer, and I'd encourage you to go to the Lord and consider What the Lord has done for you, consider also those things that you need to confess. But then I will lead. Eternal God and Heavenly Father, yet again, we are uh, witnesses to what your word tells us about your provision, your care, the ways that you provide, and everything from how the world works around us, as we saw in the second Psalm, to even how your church functions. We thank you for not, again, leaving us to figure things out on our own, to We thank you for not leaving us wondering about what you would have us do, but instead your word tells us. Father, you are so good to us. As we gather here and consider the issues that the early church faced, as I just talked about with the kids, we know that we face issues too. And the issues are not cultural. All of our issues ultimately come from sin. As we think about who you are, your love and your mercy, we are painfully reminded of who we are not, of our failings, of those times when instead of following your word and your will for our lives, we had better ideas that weren't better at all. We had higher priorities, which definitely were not more important than what you wanted In your mercy, you have given us time and time again forgiveness, restoration, and you have strengthened us. And yet, Father, we know we come with unclean hands, so please convict our hearts that we would turn to you again and again, seeking your face and your forgiveness. In light of these things, Father, we come to you with a boldness that your word prescribes in Jesus Christ, who is our righteousness. And we come asking for your help. As we think about the different issues our church faces, some of the problems that are going on uh, that our people are facing, we have those that are mourning the loss of loved ones, some more recent than others. We continue to pray for the Marsh family with the loss of Barbara's mother. Also for the Rileys, as Thomas' brother passed very recently. We pray that you would give peace and comfort and a sense of your presence. And yet, Father, we face other problems of the physical variety. We thank you that Maddie's surgery was successful this past week, but we pray that you would be with her and ease her pain and discomfort. We pray that therapy would go well and that, Father, you would work in that situation. We pray for Dale, and we ask that he would have successful dialysis treatments this week, specifically this week, that you would watch over him and protect him from difficulties and complications. Please be with Terry, too, if she cares for him. We know there are other situations going on, and we ask that you would attend to these and bring healing and restoration. And yet, Father, I know that all sorts of things are going on that haven't been mentioned. That might not necessarily have to do with the physical at all, but instead, it's the emotional, it's the spiritual. It can sometimes just be the weariness of the world the difficulties of interacting with others as we deal with our own sin and as we deal with others' sins. Father, we pray that you would bring encouragement, that your Holy Spirit, the Counselor, would work in our hearts and guide us. And Father, give us a greater conviction. Let us make the commitment to seek your kingdom first and your righteousness and to desire what the Holy Spirit is leading us to do. So make us sensitive to your call. We pray this not only for ourselves, we pray it for the church around us. As we think about those that are struggling in other areas, from from flooding in California to storms in Alabama, we know that there are believers in these places and around the world that are confronting hardship, and we pray that you would encourage them, that through them you would bring healing in the gospel light of Jesus Christ. In these situations and so many others. Too numerous to list or even know. And as we think about the world. We do. The Holy Spirit to blow through. That many. Many who do not know you. Would come to know you. And in so doing. See the light of the gospel. See the beauty of Jesus Christ. That his name would be glorified. And honored. And we pray it all in his name. Amen. Now let's continue our worship by standing together and taking our green Bible song books. We're going to sing Bible song number 63. God, please stand with me now. Go to our lord our father it is because you have shown us such marvelous kindness that we come now to this portion where we i pray now that you would bless the gift that you would bless the giver and that you would use these in accordance with your kingdom and your will and we pray it all in christ's name amen you see. Thank you very much, Donna. Well, are you ready? I ask this because today we are talking about a subject that is the center of much controversy in the world around us, a, a subject that is on trial, a subject that is mislabeled and twisted and changed. And while the manifestations of this seem to have surfaced for us here in the United States in just the past, oh, I don't know, 20, 25 years or so, What we're dealing with today, the controversy that we are confronting, it's nothing new at all. In fact, we see this controversy present throughout God's Word some 2,000 years ago, 3,000 years ago, both in idea but also in practice. So much so that there are many portions of God's Word that I'm telling you, it's as if you could hear those portions of God's Word in the news today today. Um, read it in a newspaper article out of the mouth of a politician and and so forth. So what is this subject that we come to today? And, And what is this controversy? Well, the subject is truth. And the controversy is, well, what is it? Now, I know you might say, well, that's silly. I mean, everybody knows what the truth is. And to a certain extent, you're right. But just because people know the truth doesn't mean that they'll admit it. doesn't mean that they can accept it. Or even sometimes, not knowing it at all, they can even recognize it. And no, I'm not just talking about the multiculturalist, you know, relativistic world that we're living in. After all, the worst lies are the ones you tell yourself, aren't they? Even so, in our world today, Truth is on trial. Well, Like I said, this is nothing new. Maybe you wondered just a few minutes ago about that statue that I uh, put the picture up of on the, uh, the screen there. Um, that's none other than Pontius Pilate himself, who in John eighteen thirty eight, in the midst of his interaction with Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life, as he stared at truth, Pilate accused, admitted, said... Ultimately, I guess he asked, what? So take your Bibles and turn with me to the gospel according to John. But instead of, uh, of, of where <laughs> you might think we would be in chapter 8, we're going to be in chapter 14 again. Now, uh, just like we were last week, so please realize that's, that's no typo in your bulletin. So John chapter 14 is where we will be now. If you were here last week, you'll know that the point of last week's message was to really set up this name that we have come to in our series on the names of God. We went through the names of God the Father, then the names of God the Son, or at least some of them, and today uh, we're still in this series on the names of God the Holy Spirit. But Like I said last week, we were really making an attempt to set up this name that we first confronted last week, and we saw it last week in verse 16. This is Jesus speaking. He said, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. It's a counselor. That's the name that we come to for God, the Holy Spirit. That's what we came to. But really, our focus last week was on the verse before this. It was on verse 15 when Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. And I hope that you saw from last week, number one, what following and loving Jesus is really all about. Remember, I told you the story of when I was going through my ordination exams before I'd become a pastor, and I was asked this. Uh, the, the, the person said, You say you love God, but what is it that you love? And I told you I, I really messed up the answer to this because I didn't understand where he was going. But when I did, I, I felt silly because it really is so simple. The answer to this question is that if you say you love Jesus... You have to say that you love the things of Jesus. Or in other words, if you love Jesus, then you love who Jesus is. So in other words, if you love Jesus, you must love mercy. You've got to love Forgiveness, holiness, truth, etc. All the things that make Jesus who he is. If you say you love Jesus, you're saying that you love these things, right? And as a result, if you love these things, your life will be characterized by these things too. That's the implication of that question. You say you love God, but what is it that you love? If you really love the things of Jesus, if you hold those things precious and dear, then they will be evident in your life. That's why Jesus said in verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commands. Because realize, the commands that Jesus gives, none of them are arbitrary. God's law, it's not arbitrary. God's law flows out of who he is. So that when God tells us to not steal, when God tells us to not bear false witness, these things flow out of God's character and are pleasing to him. So we're called to do these things. And this is not hard to understand, is it? If you love me, you'll keep my commands. Not hard to understand. But boy, is it hard to do if we're honest with ourselves. In fact, really keeping Jesus' commands, really loving Jesus, is hard. You'll never love Jesus on your own, and neither will I. And so with that in mind, Jesus said in verse 16, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you send his Holy Spirit to dwell within his people in order to help us to follow him. But how? How does the Spirit function as this counselor, as the one that helps us follow him? Well, this is what brings us back to our subject and our controversy that we come to today. The Holy Spirit's help, his functioning as our counselor, begins with truth. It all starts with truth. Now, you should already be in John 14. We're going to start reading again in verse 15. But before we read anything, we need to stop and we need to pray because we need help. Let's go to him now. Our Father, please be with us in this time. Already we've we've been in your word. We have seen its simple truths. And yet at the same time, we've seen how much we need you. How without you, we're lost. Please be with us now by your holy spirit work in our hearts if, if there's someone here that your word has just become commonplace to break down those barriers if there's someone here that that this word is just an academic pursuit please let them see that this is a spiritual time of spiritual consequences if there are people here because they were made to be here help them to see the value of it the, if there's people here that are just here because it's the holy hour it, Father, please cut through all of this and work in our hearts something real, something powerful, so that we would be who you called us to be, and I pray that for myself first. None of this will happen apart from your Holy Spirit, the Counselor, so please work in our hearts now through him, and we pray it all in Christ's name, amen. So John chapter 14, beginning in verse 15, hear now the word of the Lord. And again, this is Jesus speaking here. Okay. So John 14, beginning in verse 15, Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commands and I will ask the father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him, but you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I'm coming to you. In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me, because I live, you will live too. On that day, you will know that I am in my Father, you are in me, and I am in you. The one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me, and the one who loves me will be loved by my Father. I also will love him, and will reveal myself to him. And we'll stop reading right there. May God bless the reading of His holy, inerrant, and infallible Word. Amen and amen. All right. Before we for us to really love Jesus and follow Jesus on our own, and hence the promise of Jesus sending the Holy Spirit or, or sending the Holy Spirit, the Counselor to help us, to guide us, to dwell within us, to do these things that we've just read. Now, this was a promise for the disciples, and indeed, the Spirit was with them at this time, but was still coming, right? They would receive the fullness of the Spirit in the book of Acts um, after Jesus' ascension back into heaven. So Jesus made the promise to them of the coming Spirit, who he called the Counselor. And right after promising this Counselor, which by the way, If you're in Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit, the Counselor. But anyway, after promising that he would send the Counselor, we find out more about who this Counselor is and how this Counselor, the Holy Spirit, works. The Holy Spirit that we, in fact, have within us. as a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance, according to Ephesians. Now, Jesus tells us who the Holy Spirit is, how this counselor works, and it's right there in the start of verse 17. Jesus says he, talking about the counselor, is the spirit of truth. Now, before you say, oh, okay, that, that makes sense. Well, that's nice. Just hold the phone, y'all. Do you realize the gravity of this, the, the implications of Jesus' saying. Do you know what this means, that the Holy Spirit, the Counselor, is the Spirit of truth? Jesus isn't just saying here that the Holy Spirit is really good at telling the truth. He isn't just saying here that one of the Spirit's characteristics is being truthful or truthfulness. No, Jesus is saying that the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth. substance of truth. And as a result, all truth must come through the Holy Spirit. In fact, looking at it further, because of who the Spirit is, y'all, there is no truth apart from the Holy Spirit. Why? Because of his identity, because he's the spirit of truth itself. He is the quintessence of truth, the very substance of it. Now, think about what this means. This means that no truth is ever spoken, stated, or written to which the Spirit of truth cannot lay claim or for which the Holy Spirit cannot take credit or responsibility. That's all truth everywhere at all times. The Holy Spirit is responsible for it. And that is serious, right? That has real implications. And it has real consequences about the world around us. For instance, what does this say about others who claim to have the truth outside of God? What does this say about the philosophies of the world around you? Take, for instance, postmodernism, where the world says, all truth is relative, except that statement, because that's a pretty absolute statement, isn't it? But nevertheless, I don't even go there. What does it say about these ideas in the world around you? Well, what it says is that truth is the truth no matter who rejects it. Because truth isn't generated here. It's not produced by you and me. Truth flows out of the spirit of truth. And so no matter if the whole world rejects something as a lie, truth stands. And it stands forever. And that only makes sense concerning the world. Because look at what Jesus said about the world in the last part of verse 17. After identifying the counselor, the Holy Spirit, as a spirit of truth, Jesus went on to say, the world is unable to receive him. This is 1417. The world is unable to receive him or know him. But you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you. And it's with this that we kind of bring the horse around the barn, as it were. We started this morning with me telling you that we were talking about a subject and a controversy, namely the truth and and what is it. And so we have arrived at this juncture, as we consider the world around us. Do I have to preach about the state of the world and truth? This time in which we find ourselves where people are so confused? They are so misled. They believe the ridiculous and exchange God's truth for a lie. It's Romans 1 that we're living out. Romans 1.18 says the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of human beings who what? Suppress the truth by their wickedness. And y'all, we could spend all day talking about countless examples of the way that the world does this, the way that the world rejects truth, and accepts lies. It's so evident, it's, it's hard to know where to even start. A good place to start to illustrate this is at the start, right? What's taught in the world concerning the origin of where humans come from. Where we teach our kids that, that we're all just the product of random chance, that our ancestors are not humans, but instead our, our ancestors are our apes, we're all just the product of evolution. It goes from that to this idea that's so hard fast You cannot deny evolution, it's scientific. And then you get over to this other side of things where the world denies basic biology and DNA doesn't matter and that your identity is determined by your feelings. And so we have all of these genders. And I even tried to look up how many there are now. One said 56, one said 68, one said 72. You can't even find the right number of genders anymore according to the world's philosophy. And as a result, you see what's in the world around you, how, how people mutilate themselves in order to what, to, to at the same time, they deny their basic God-given identity. And not only do they do this, it's like they expect the world to just agree with all of this and, and, and they accept complete, accept complete acceptance and, and you all for the world to just play along and say, oh, wow, you are stunning and brave for this act of mutilation, right? This is the world that we live in. They say, oh, you live on the corner of Stunning Street and Brave Boulevard. That's where your house is, right? This world teaches our kids that they're the product of random chance, that there's never a God that they'll have to answer to. And then we act surprised. We teach children that human life doesn't matter. Driving through Stanton the other day, I saw a sign, abortion is health care. If that's not the most twisted doublespeak of Orwellian proportions that I've ever heard, I, I don't know what is. We say these things, and we act as if human life means nothing except when it comes to how tax dollars are spent, and then we're surprised when kids behave like human life means nothing. And not only that, when we... Come to this point that we're at where you see so many kids glorifying transgenderism and, and changing genders and all these things. Nobody even talks about the real statistics how one in three transgender youths have attempted suicide 33%. Right? All this stuff is glamorized by the world around you, but nobody talks about the real numbers. Transgender people are two times as likely to attempt suicide. And y'all, it's not because people aren't nice. When you say to God, I am not who you made me to be. I shall determine my identity, not you. It has a cost. And the sad thing is, is that people are surprised when they hear things like this. Because there's so much covered up. There's so many lies that are told. The narrative is just ridiculous. And this is just one example of what is taking place in the world around you. But hear me. Hear me. While it's so sad how foolish the world is, while I've said this so many times, we live in this time when it's considered evil to give hormones to cattle but not children for the purposes of child abuse and mutilation. We could keep on going, but hear me, y'all. These are all symptoms, not the problem. These are manifestations of what's really going on. You know what the real problem is? not accept the truth. Hence, the controversy. Think about what Jesus said there in verse 17. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him. Do you see the logical progression of what Jesus is doing here? The world can't accept the Spirit because it doesn't see Him or know Him. And the Spirit is the Spirit of truth. So ergo, if the world can't accept or know the Spirit of truth, then what does that say about the world accepting truth itself? It says the world can't accept the truth because it doesn't know the Holy Spirit. So if you're wondering what's going on, if you're like me and you hear things and you scratch your head and if you had hair, you'd pull it out, and you say, what is happening? Don't wonder anymore. This is what's happening. This is why the world is so crazy. This is why the world has accepted so many lies. Because it can't accept the truth. This is why we are given the warnings that were given in God's word. Romans 12, 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is why God tells us not to emulate the world, to be in the world, but not of it, to not take advice from the world. The very first verse of the very first psalm says, blessed is the man that what walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of the sinners. The psalmist is talking about the world here. This is why Jesus tells us to seek God's kingdom first and his righteousness. This is why Jesus said not to store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, but instead store up treasures in heaven. Why? Because where your treasure is is where your heart will be also over and over and over and over again in God's word. We are told to avoid becoming like the world and our passage today tells us why. It's because the world can't accept the truth. Because it doesn't see or know the Holy Spirit. And so, you see what you see in the world. The world is doomed in deception. But my friends, our passage today also reveals something so glorious. Something so precious. Something so wonderful, and freeing. Our passage today reveals that while the world can't accept the truth because it doesn't accept the Holy Spirit, if you're trusting in Jesus Christ alone, you have that spirit of truth that the world does not. Look at the end of verse 17 with me. Jesus said, but you do know him. Because he remains with you and will be in you. Now this was for the disciples. He was talking about the coming of the Holy Spirit and how the Spirit would indwell them. But for you and me, there is no promise of the Holy Spirit coming one day. If you're trusting in Jesus Christ, you've been filled with the Spirit. Again, the Spirit is your deposit. It's guaranteeing your inheritance in the kingdom of God. But you have the Spirit as the counselor. You have what the world does not. And it's because of this. That God's word is true, and what Jesus said in John 8 is true, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. You know, this is one of those verses that people don't know the reference. John 3.16, people know that reference. When you say John 8.32, people don't know. But this statement, you see it in movies, you read it in books, it's on bumper stickers, it's on refrigerator magnets, it's used by sports commentators, right? It's in the news. But the real meaning of freedom is not the world's concept of freedom that's just bondage to one thing instead of another. The freedom that Jesus is talking about here is freedom from the world. Freedom from the world's condemnation and guilty verdict. Freedom from the foolery that exists around you. Freedom from the world's lies. But the basis of this freedom is the truth. The spirit of the truth frees us from the world's bondage. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. We've talked about how it's impossible to do that on our own. But y'all, if you're in bondage to the world around you, if you're wrapped up into the philosophies of the world around you, if you have bought into its lies and you are not listening to the spirit, you still have those chains. And your testimony will be characterized by the lies of the world. Yet, the way that the Holy Spirit helps us love Jesus, the way that the Holy Spirit functions as counselor and helps us in our walk with Christ, it's beginning and ending with truth. Now, what does this look like? Really? I'm going to tell you the truth. It's not roses and sunshine what this looks like. Abiding by the Spirit. The Spirit of truth frees us from the world bondage. What this looks like is a battle. We've already talked about the act of deception of the world. Standing up for the truth is a battle of epic proportions, but it's not physical, it's not political, it is spiritual. And as a result, God's people must live a spirit led and spirit filled life as we face demons and principalities that we don't even see. And if you bought into the lies of the world that you don't have the good sense to recognize. So what does it look like to live a spirit led life? Well, it looks like putting on the full armor of God as mentioned in Ephesians, but not forgetting the last two components of the armor of God. The first of which is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, as Ephesians six seventeen says, look, y'all, you're going into battle every day, whether you want to or not. This is the reality of the world around you that you're living in. The only weapon we have is the Word of God. Don't deny yourself the Word of God and don't take the Holy Spirit's weapon from Him. That's what it looks like to live a spirit-led life. It begins with the Word. But second, it looks like doing what Ephesians 6.18 says. People make a mistake when they think the armor of God ends Ends in verse 18. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert. And always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. My friends, I hope you see why it's so necessary to live a Spirit-filled and Spirit-led life. But I hope also you see that living that life And being filled with the spirit, it begins and it ends and it's filled in with the middle by God's word and prayer. These are the means by which the spirit of truth leads you in truth. This is how the Holy Spirit transforms your life. Y'all, there's a it's 10,000 books out there, 100,000 books on there, on the secret paths of Christianity, on how to achieve some higher plane of spirituality. It's garbage. It's trash. It's people that write these books and they just want your money. Don't believe it. Know the Word of God. Pray in the Spirit. Trust in Jesus Christ. Steady as she goes. That's the calling. There's no secret. There's no special path. Trust. Know. Go to the Lord in prayer. This is how the Holy Spirit is our counselor. This is how the Spirit leads us in truth. The only question is, what will you do? Will you commit to studying, knowing, dwelling on God's Word? Well, you commit to prayer. If you know Jesus, you must. Like I said, warfare is raging. And if you don't know Jesus, realize which side of that spiritual warfare you are on. If you'll turn to Jesus today, he will save you. And you will be on the Lord's side. God guarantees it. You'll face battles, but you'll never face them alone. But if you've done that, as you consider the lies of this world, the lies you've been told, Turn to Jesus Christ. Turn to the truth. Trust in him. And as a result, you will be amazed at what the Holy Spirit will do in your life. Let's pray. My Father, we thank you for your word, for its promises, for its implications. We thank you for the opportunity you give us every single day. Every day. To walk with you empowered by the spirit of truth. As we think about the world around us, instead of being angry with the world for being what it is, instead of wondering what in the world is going on and what's happened to America and what's done this and what's done that, your word tells us the fool has said in his heart there is no God and fools do foolish things. Let us not be deceived or distracted. Let us have a renewed commitment again and again to telling the truth, to standing for the truth, living by it, and spending time with you in prayer on all occasions for all reasons. If there are any that do not know you, please work in their hearts now and draw them to yourself. And I pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Let's now stand together and close by singing the truth. I Need Thee Every Hour, hymn number 324. I Need Thee Every Hour. Stand with me as we sing. a moment i'll offer the benediction but please remain standing for the choral response receive the benediction now. may the grace and the peace and the mercy and the love and the fellowship of god spirit that spirit of truth be upon you both now and forevermore amen